Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, featuring your host, Anna Jaworski. Our program is a program designed to empower the CHD or congenital heart defect community. Our program may also help families who have children who are chronically ill by bringing information and encouragement to you in order to become an advocate for your community. Now, here is Anna Jaworski. Today's show features two moms, Sherry Turner and Ashley Halligan both mothers who experienced the devastating trauma of losing a child to a congenital heart defect and the incredible euphoria of giving birth to a rainbow baby. Please enjoy today's Encore presentation. Welcome, friends, to Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Our purpose is to empower members of our community with resources, support, and advocacy information. Today's show is Rainbow Babies, Pregnancy After Losing a Child to a Congenital Heart Defect. Rainbow babies are babies who are conceived after women have experienced a stillbirth or after a baby has died. We will discuss the process one woman has decided to go through in order to have her own rainbow baby who is helping her and how others who have lost a baby to a congenital heart defect might find hope in giving birth to a healthy baby. According to the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia website, a congenital heart defect, or CHD, is a heart problem which is present at birth caused by improper development of the heart during fetal development. In the majority of the instances when a baby is born with a CHD, there is no known reason for the heart to have formed improperly. Scientists know that some types of CHDs can be related to an abnormality of an infant's chromosome, about 5 to 6%, single gene defects, about 3 to 5%, or environmental factors, about 2%. In 85 to 90% of the cases, there is no identifiable cause for the heart defect, and they are generally considered to be caused by multifactorial inheritance. Multifactorial inheritance means that many factors are involved in causing a birth defect. The factors are usually both genetic and environmental, where a combination of genes from both parents, in addition to unknown environmental factors, produce the trait or condition. In the general population, about 1% of all children are born with a CHD. However, the risk increases when either the parent has a CHD or when another sibling was born with a CHD. If you have had one child with a CHD, the chance that another child will be born with a CHD ranges from 1.5 to 5%, depending on the type of CHD in the first child. If you have had two children with CHDs, then the risk increases to 5 to 10% to have another child with a CHD. If the mother has a CHD, the risk for a child to be born with a CHD ranges from 2.5 to 18%, with an average risk of 6.7%. If the father has a CHD, the risk for a child to be born with a CHD ranges from 1.5 to 3%. Congenital heart defects involving obstructions to blood flow in the left side of the heart have a higher rate of reoccurrence than other heart defects. If another child is born with a CHD, it can be a different type of defect than was seen in the first child. Some heart defects are considered to have autosomal dominant inheritance, meaning that a parent with a defect has a 50% chance with each pregnancy to have a child with the same heart defect, and males and females are equally affected. Similarly, there's also a 50% chance that an offspring will not be affected. Consultation with a genetic counselor or genetic specialist is encouraged for women with CHDs before becoming pregnant. In families with CHD, either in a parent's or offspring, fetal echocardiography can be performed in the second trimester at about 18 to 22 weeks of pregnancy to determine the presence of major heart defects in the fetus. Life gets a lot more complicated when you have a baby with a congenital heart defect. 
pregnancy is not something to take lightly, and we mothers and fathers have had the wool removed from our eyes. We now know that not every pregnancy ends with a healthy baby, where all we have to worry about is the sex of the child and how many fingers and toes they have. And that is why today's topic, Rainbow Babies, Pregnancy After Losing a Child with Congenital Heart Defect, is so important. To discuss this topic, our guests today are Ashley Halligan and Sherry Turner. Ashley Halligan is 29 and just lost her son, Oliver Robert Halligan, three weeks ago on May 12, 2014, when he was six months old. Oliver had total anomalous pulmonary venous return, TAPVR, which was not prenatally diagnosed. Oliver battled through two open-heart surgeries, one stroke, three cardiac arrests, and one respiratory arrest. After all of this, they found out that Ollie had HLH, or hemophagocytic lymphohistiocytosis. Boy, I hope I said that right. It is really a mouthful. Now I know why they say HLH. This is an extremely rare bone marrow disorder. HLH itself has an 80% mortality rate. With this new diagnosis, Ashley and her husband had no other choice but to let Oliver go. Ashley and her husband, Trevor, are planning to try for more children after this summer. Before Oliver passed away, they had a full panel of genetic testing done on him. They are still awaiting the results. Ashley's hope is to spread Ollie's story, spread CHD and HLH awareness, and to help families in the CICU at the Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh. So welcome to the show, Ashley. Hi there. How are you? I am doing great. Wow, HLH. HLH I had never heard of before yeah. I met you. I had no idea, and I mean, sometimes it can be genetic, and sometimes it's acquired. I mean, the doctors say in their gut they think it was acquired because, I guess, when your body kind of has all of these different issues, he had issues with his heart, and then after one of his arrests, he went into renal failure. So with all of that going on, it's kind of like your white blood cells go into overdrive. So instead of going back to neutral, like it would if you or I were sick, you know, your white blood cells go up. And then once you're done being sick, they go back to neutral. Instead of that, his always stayed very, very high and started to eat away at his healthy red blood cells. So Right. It's like an autoimmune disease from what I was reading right. on Wikipedia. Right. Scary. Very, very, very scary. So in a way, you didn't really lose your child to a congenital heart defect. It was all the complications involving the heart defect and this HLH. Isn't that true? Sort of. I mean, the HLH was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. Also, with TAPVR, one of the things that can happen is narrowing of the veins out into the lungs, which they can't do anything about surgically or in cath lab. So we also found out in that care conference when we found out that he had HLH that there was also narrowing out in the lungs. Though they did the repair, it was still some stenosis of the pulmonary veins out there that they, you know, there's nothing that they can do for that. And that's a good point because for our listeners who are listening to the show, the anatomy gets very complicated and it's amazing how much we parents can learn, but the pulmonary veins are different than the pulmonary arteries. And with the pulmonary arteries, if there's stenosis, they can go in and use a balloon to try and open them right. up, or they can put stents in them. But when we're talking about the pulmonary veins, that's a whole different story. And it's right. much more complicated for them to try and work with an itty-bitty, teeny-tiny baby in those veins, which are, I believe, much smaller than what the pulmonary artery is. Right, extremely, extremely. And, I mean, if they try to balloon his veins, then it can cause the vein behind it to almost collapse, mm-hmm. which... You know, so that'd be no good. <laughs> right. It gets so complicated. So do it really heart effects does. run in your family, Ashley? Well, not that I know of. I'm actually adopted, so it's kind of hard to say. From what I know, no, they do not run in my family. That's the easiest <laughs> answer to it. But that's why for our next rainbow baby, we're going to be working very closely with genetics. Right, right. And that's good advice from what I discovered on the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia website is that's what they recommend, that you work with a geneticist. Right. So you only lost Oliver three weeks ago, which is so raw for me. It just brought tears to my eyes when I saw that. So when did you decide that you were going to go ahead and have another baby? 
I don't think there was ever really a doubt that we weren't going to have more children. Even when we were sitting in the CICU on our darkest days, I think both my husband and I are just committed to having a family and feeling that bond with our children. THG got in the way a bit, but we're kind of headstrong and really wanting to have that family. So we're willing to do what we have to do to get there. I hear you. It was really challenging for me when we discovered Alex's heart defect, like your son. He was not diagnosed prenatally, and so we didn't find out until after he was born. And my husband and I had always said, ever since we started talking about having a family, that we wanted two children, and that was it. We wanted to have two. And so after Alex's heart defect was diagnosed and was very, very serious, hypoplastic left heart syndrome, the doctor gave us only 5% chance for Alex to survive. And at that time, to my surprise, both of Alex's doctors, his surgeon and his cardiologist, recommended that we have another baby. Yeah, and I mean, said we only wanted two. <laughs> you know? Right, and, exactly. <laughs> and but and, whether and Alex made it or not, we had our two. And I was much older. I was 31 by the time I had Alex, and it took me five years to get pregnant the first time and three years to get pregnant the second time. So that would have put me closer to 40, and I just I knew that we wouldn't have another child. So right. have you and your husband already decided we want to have two kids or five kids or whatever? We actually said two. However, I think, I don't know, my mind has changed a little bit. I mean, I always said through our whole process at Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh that if, if God wants me to have another baby with a CHD, then that's what's meant to happen. If the cards are in our favor that we'll have a healthy rainbow baby, then that's what's going to happen. But either way, I'm committed to starting our family and growing our family. I'm so excited for you, and I, I hope you will keep in touch with me and let me know what happens. Absolutely. It's good that we're Facebook friends because yeah. I can't keep up with you that way. So, so what is the most difficult thing about wanting to have another baby at this point in your life with the death of Oliver still so fresh and with the concern that the HLH was not acquired but rather congenital? Well, the thing with HLH, too, is that it's a recessive gene. So mm. even though our future children could possess that trait, it's extremely rare for it to come to light, is my understanding. All of this with the HLH is very new to us because we probably only found out about a month ago (laughs) about Mm -hmm. it, so I'm still kind of learning. But I'd say probably the most difficult thing right now is just being happy to be pregnant. I have and had so much love for Oliver that I'm really afraid of you have a heart-healthy baby, how you're going to feel about that baby versus how I felt with Oliver, just because it was just this unspeakable love that I have never experienced in my life. And I have friends who have had children that say, oh, the love that you have for your children is just so different, and you don't understand until you have a child. And now that I have, and especially with your firstborn, it's kind of like, okay, but can I feel this same way with another child? Like, is this possible? And people tell you, yes, of course, of course, you know, you love all of your children. But just the things that we went through and the things that we saw Oliver go through, I mean, I saw one of his respiratory arrests was literally right before my eyes. And I don't know. That's probably my biggest fear right now is seeing if I will have that love again, that much love again. I know. I felt just like you did. And it did take me forever to get pregnant. It seemed like forever. Five years isn't forever, but it felt like forever for me. Oh, mine was very quick. (laughs) Was it? It just took me forever to get pregnant. And it's just like you said. I was a teacher, so I worked with children all the time. And I even had students ask me, don't you want to have a baby? Oh, and they just have no idea how that hurt my heart when they would ask me when we were trying so hard to have a baby. And I thought that the love I had for my students could not be surpassed because I adored my children. And listen, I'm calling them my children. (laughs) I would go back to school after hours because I taught at a residential school where children were hard of hearing and deaf. And I would pick up my dog and bring her back to the school so KC could be with my students so I didn't have to leave KC all day. And the kids loved seeing KC because they weren't allowed to have dogs in the cottages where they lived. Mm -hmm. And so I couldn't imagine loving 
my own child more than I loved my students. I just adored my students. But you know what? It was greater. And right. then when I had Alex and I got pregnant with Alex, I remember thinking the same thing. Well, well, will I be able to love Alex as much as I love Joey? Because my heart just swells with so much love for Joey. And it's amazing. But I was lucky because my first child was heart healthy. And it was right. Alex, my second child, who had a heart defect. And so we'll be talking to Sherry a little bit later, and we'll be able to ask her that question. Oh, that would <laughs> be fabulous. I, I, I love that. Yeah, I haven't experienced that myself, but I can tell you just from one child to the next, yes, it almost feels like your heart's capacity to love just multiplies with the number of children you have. And I'm the so older excited. you get. Yeah, the older you get, it's not just your children, or for me, my students and then my children, but your heart just has a way of getting bigger and bigger, and now all my friends in the heart world, I love all their children, too. Right? <laughs> oh, my gosh, each experiencing that. Yes, Absolutely. we all applaud each other's achievements, and we cry with each other when things aren't going well, and yep. it's amazing how much love you can have for people that you've never met face-to-face, -face, but who you come to care about because we have this common bond. Right. So I'm going to ask you this question, and I know that Oliver's only been gone for three weeks, so it may not be something you've thought about, but okay. if you become pregnant again and have another baby, what do you think you'll tell that child about Oliver? Oh, gosh. I don't know. Wow. I, I mean, obviously that's something I think about, and I mean, I guess it would all depend on the age when you would probably tell that child about Oliver. You know what I mean? Like, I I mean, I guess I would wonder, and I'll probably have to pick Sherry's brain about this, like, when is a good time to tell them? Because I know working with the child life specialists at children that when they would talk to siblings, they would say, Oliver's sick to, like, my friend's mm -hmm. kids. Oliver's sick. But it's not a type of sickness that you can catch. You're like, oh, well, if I go see Oliver, am I going to get sick? No, 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 no. You won't get his type of sick. But then with a sibling, that's not always the case. Do you know what I mean? Like, so, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure that's probably how my parents felt whenever, you know, they said, when the time comes, how are you going to tell Ashley that she's adopted? And honestly, I don't remember yeah. how they told me, but I'm fine now. So, <laughs> so is it almost like you feel like you always knew you were adopted? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I did. It was just part of who you were. So I'm wondering, did I imagine you have pictures of Oliver in your house? Oh, tons. Um, not so much hanging up anymore, just because it's, it's really raw to see pictures. Sure. But, I mean, I still have them on my phone, and, you know, we, we have our Ollie Strong page on Facebook. And But, I mean, I think right now, like last night we literally just got pictures. We did, like, a bubble ceremony um, on Mother's Day for him. And... So I saw some of those pictures, and I was flipping through them last night and noticed myself getting choked up, but if you'd asked me a week ago to look at those pictures, I would have been a ball in mess. So yeah, kind of like how everyone tells me it takes time and, like, you'll never stop hurting, but you'll be able, like, I'm looking forward to the day when I can look at a picture and just smile and not be extremely sad. Yeah. You know, and I, and I feel like I'm getting there. And just trying to keep myself busy and, you know, keep his name alive and spread awareness as much as I can. Because you never and, think and when from, you're pregnant that it could happen to you. Oh, I know. You think it you could don't. happen to anyone else but you or your friends. Yeah, it's weird because I didn't even really think about children having heart defects when I was pregnant. No. You I thought about my children maybe being deaf because I worked with deaf kids. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and my students even asked me, what will you do if you have a deaf baby? And I was like, well, I'll love him or her just like if they were hearing. You know, that was not a right. consideration. But nobody said to me, what will you do if you have a, a baby with a heart defect? And that's the most common birth defect. Right. I mean, when you think about, like, me. leukemia and you think of, mm -hmm. you know, being deaf or blind or, you know, Down syndrome, but diabetes, you know, there's so many different right, things. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. But you don't think about the CHDs. Nope. And I had students who had cerebral palsy, who were deafblind, who had diabetes, and those things were 
kind of salient and on my mind because I was dealing with children who had those issues. But right. to my knowledge, none of my students had a heart defect. Right. And, and you're also so, told when you're pregnant that, oh, well, you can do, like, the amnio, and that can test for the Down syndrome trait. But then, as in that children, they said that they do fetal echocardiograms. And I'm like, wait, I had no idea about that. Right. <laughs> right. And I was pregnant, well, 20 years ago now. So, yeah, that wasn't even really offered back when I was pregnant. Plus, I'd already had one heart-healthy child. There was right. no, so reason no reason for us to think that Alex would have a problem. So, right. yeah, but like I said in my intro, the wool is removed from our eyes, and now all of a sudden we know, oh, my goodness, other things can go wrong. And like I said, I knew kids could be born with blindness or cerebral palsy or so many other things, spina bifida. I even had a, a child that I worked with when I was student teaching who was deaf with spina bifida. And when it came time for the amnio, like you're saying, I said, you know what, if I have a baby with Down syndrome or if I have a baby with spina bifida, I will love that baby just as much. I am not going to abort a baby because of those exactly. problems. Exactly. And so I didn't even do it. I didn't even yeah, have any system. Nope. Yeah, because I kind of figured that God would give me a baby and give me the strength to deal with whatever I, I had to deal with. And I had Absolutely. seen children who had Down syndrome and spina bifida, and I loved them. <laughs> they were my students. Oh, my gosh, I, I think they're the cutest. You know? I know. Exactly. I couldn't imagine, I couldn't imagine. Those children not being there because their parents had decided to abort them. So that wasn't even really an option with me. I'm happy that you are already planning on having another baby because a baby fills your life in a way that nothing else can. Even though I have three furry babies, Domino, Missy, and Poncho, uh, and I love my dogs very much. They're all rescue dogs. It's not the same thing as having a baby. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> your furry babies are different. So I'm wondering, exactly. you mentioned something about it possibly being genetic. So are you working with a geneticist now in preparation for getting pregnant? Well, right now we're kind of like in the beginning of all of it because they did do a full panel on Oliver, and then they also took a panel for Trevor and I. So I think within the next couple weeks, we'll be sitting down and having another care conference at Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh, our, our whole team, as well as um, the genetic counselors, to see if any of it was genetic. And also, at that point, we'll also get his autopsy report to see if anything else is underlying. Oh, okay. So now we're just kind of waiting for that, and then... Only time will tell, I guess. Well, I have so enjoyed talking to you, and I know we'll be talking a lot more later. Absolutely. But I need to go to a commercial yes. break. So <laughs> thank you, Ashley, so much for sharing with us. It is time Thanks for our commercial for break. Me. But don't. Oh, I loved it. Don't leave, listeners, because we have another mother who will be sharing her story with us. Find out how she dealt with the grief of losing her son to hypoplastic left heart syndrome, yet experienced not one or two rainbow babies, but three. And find out how her rainbow babies are doing and whether or not she would do it all over again when we return. Texas Heart Institute were offering us a mechanical heart, and he said, no, Dad, I've had enough. Give it to someone who's worthy. My father promised me a golden dress to twirl in. He held my hand and asked me where I wanted to go. Whatever strife or conflict that we experienced in our long career together was always healed by humor. Heart to Heart with Michael. Please join us every Thursday at noon Eastern as we talk with people from around the world who have experienced those most difficult moments. Forever by the Baby Blue Sound Collective. I think what I love so much about this CD is that some of the songs were inspired by the patients. Many listeners will understand many of the different songs and what they've been inspired by. Our new album will be available on iTunes, Amazon.com, Spotify. I love the fact that the proceeds from this CD are actually going to help those with congenital heart defects. Enjoy the music. Home tonight forever. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today we are talking with bereaved parents Ashley Halligan and Sherry Turner about rainbow babies, babies born after losing a child. 
We just finished talking with Ashley about her experience of losing Oliver to his congenital heart defect, TAPVR, and her desire to get pregnant again. And now we will turn our attention to Sherry Turner. Sherry Turner is 44 and lost her firstborn son, Thomas William Turner, 16 years ago to hypoplastic left heart syndrome when he was 10 days old. After her son's death in 1997, Sherry organized the first congenital heart defect, or CHD, Awareness Day in Massachusetts on February 14, 2000 at Children's Hospital of Boston. After having organized several annual CHD Awareness Days in Massachusetts, she took a long hiatus to continue her family. She was beginning a nonprofit called the Massachusetts Heart Coalition when her second child, Allison Nicole Turner, was born in 1999. Christopher followed in 2003 and Daniel in 2005. Raising her young family has been her focus for the last several years. Actually, it's been quite a few years. I'd love to see her pictures of her children on Facebook. They're so beautiful and they're, they're getting so big. She has been such a wonderful example of how you can lose a child to a congenital heart defect and yet still go on to have three healthy children. Sherry, there yes. we go. Thank you for coming on Heart to Heart with Anna, Sherry. I'm excited to talk to you again. I'm excited too. Well, this is kind of a bittersweet show because we're having to address the fact that you and Ashley and unfortunately many, many people have lost a child to a heart defect, but this is hopeful. It's sweet because we're talking about hopefully having a rainbow baby. And so I want to ask you, first of all, how are your rainbow babies doing? And I know they're not babies anymore. They're doing very well. Allison's 14. She just got an internship at the Museum of Science in Boston. And Christopher is enjoying Little League. He's 10. And Daniel is 8 and also enjoys Little League. They're having a good time with the season this year. So I'm proud of all three of them. And they are so beautiful. I love the fact that you're often posting photos of them and showing us what they're doing. It makes it fun. It feels like even though I'm so many miles away that I can still be part of their lives, and they don't even remember me. (laughs) Well, but I'm glad you're enjoying it, though, because that was sort of my intended purpose when I started posting about them, because I've got family and friends that are spread all over the place and don't get to come to games or see things they're doing and it's nice that they get to, if they want to, keep up on what they're doing. Exactly. So, Sherry, I know it was really difficult losing Thomas, especially since he was your firstborn child. So how long after you lost Thomas did you decide that you wanted to have another baby? For me, it was almost immediately. Before I had Thomas, I had initially wanted to have six children. Oh, um, wow. I couldn't see my life without kids in it. For me, kids make everything so much better. And even though what we went through with Thomas was a horrible tragedy and there were a lot of things that made it complicated to have more kids, I never doubted that I wanted more children. Six children. Oh, my gosh, Sherry. (laughs) Yeah, that was my initial plan. It changed, but, you know. That was the initial plan. I think that you have done awesome with the four that you have had. And so let me ask you, because we both were pregnant over a decade ago, and so things were a little bit different. So when you decided to have another baby after losing Thomas, did you take any special precautions, or did you see a specialist? I did. I had a high-risk pregnancy obstetrician, and I was also followed by midwives. And Allison had a um, level 2 echocardiogram while in utero, and I also had an echocardiogram done on her after she was born, which I found out later was kind of not productive because the anatomy of the heart is different on a newborn than it changes over the course of two weeks or so. That one was probably a waste of time to have the echocardiogram for her when she was a newborn, but in utero it was definitely helpful to know that she did indeed have four chambers to her heart, and it gave me peace of mind anyway after her birth to have it. So in that way, it wasn't a waste of time. I also had chronic, I forget how you pronounce it, CVS, the testing done, chorionic villi sampling, 
I think is what it's called. And it was a procedure that was supposed to tell me if there were going to be any more problems, you know, Down syndrome or spina bifida or any other issues. I did have that done, and in looking back, I probably would not have had it done if I had it to do over again because it does increase the risk of you miscarrying a child, and the information that we got out of it proved to be unreliable because we were told that there was a pretty good chance that Allison was going to have Down syndrome when she was born. And really? I never yeah. knew that, Sherry. Yeah, um, they told us that that was a strong possibility, and of course she was born, and there's no trace of Down syndrome at all with her. It made us more nervous than we needed to be. We were already keyed up about having another baby, and then to be told that that was probably a pretty strong possibility. You worry the whole rest of the pregnancy, of course, especially since children who have Down syndrome very often have heart defects. That's right. It's like so, 50%, I think, or maybe even higher than that. They usually, something. But it's not usually as severe as HLHS. It's fairly uncommon for a baby with Down syndrome to have HLHS. Well, I didn't know that, but you know, just any heart defect at all, I mean, it's pretty overwhelming when you first hear that your child has a heart defect because it isn't something that you hear about, which is odd because it's such a high prevalence of babies are being born with heart defects. Last I heard, it was like one in every 100 babies, something like that. And, you know, for something that's that frequent to not hear about it, I mean, it never even crossed my mind to ask about it during pregnancy when I was pregnant with Thomas. Um, Me too. Me too. After I had had him and we went through what we went through, I, of course, inquired about heart defects with my subsequent children. And, like I said, was told with Allison that she might have Down syndrome and that brought a certain risk with it for heart defects, but it was But you decided to be not un- to abort. I couldn't see myself aborting and, and Thomas mm-hmm. has a lot to do with that. Mm-hmm. I saw him fight so hard for his life, I couldn't bring myself to terminate a pregnancy, I don't think. I mean, and everybody has their own path and they have their own reasons for doing what they do and I'm not trying to pass judgment on anybody about what their decisions are, but for me, after seeing how sick Thomas was and how hard he fought to live, I mean, he had a lot of problems. He had the hypoplastic left heart syndrome. He also had pulmonary vein stenosis. Oh, he, just like what Ashley was telling us about, but her son yeah. also had. Wow. Yes, and People that had a lot to, with her. Yes, yes. <laughs> More than I realized when you were talking with her. With Thomas's situation, he was oxygen-deprived from the very get-go, and he couldn't recover. So the doctors had told us that they didn't even expect him to live beyond a few hours after delivery. So the fact that he lived for 10 days was a huge testament to the fact that he wanted to live. And right. That was a gift for- to you. Yes, it was very much a gift. And so any other child that I had after him, I thought deserved every bit as much of a fighting chance as as he got, at least. So let me ask you, Sherry. So you had Thomas, who had Mm -hmm. major problems. Then you had Allison, and they thought she had problems, but then after she was born, I thought, no, she was totally normal and healthy. So when you got pregnant for the third time, were you still considered a high-risk pregnancy? Yes. Every pregnancy after that, I was considered high-risk. So you went through the same thing with the boys having an echocardiogram done? Yes, I did. I mean... I did have that, yes. I opted not to do the CVS testing again. I didn't want to be misled into thinking there was going to be a problem when there really wasn't, so I didn't have that test done. Uh, It didn't seem to be very reliable after my experience with Allison, but I did have the echoes done, and I did have a lot of ultrasounds done while I was pregnant, and Mm -hmm. each one was a reassurance to me, you know, because they would do the ultrasound or the echo, and then they would talk to me about it afterwards just to sort of make sure I understood everything was okay. Right. And it must have been very reassuring, though, to see those fetal echoes and to see that his heart, you know, Daniel's heart and Christopher's heart were developing normally. Yes. 
Very much so. I got pretty wound up before each time I had a test, and then afterwards was a huge relief. I almost felt like throwing a party. (laughs) I know. I can just imagine what that (laughs) felt like because, you know what, I don't know what you were told, but I was told when we asked about what caused Alex's heart defect, oh, they said it's just a fluke of nature. We don't know what caused it. You know, heart defects don't run in your family. It's just a fluke of nature. And I would think that maybe when you had three subsequent healthy children that you would believe, well, maybe that was just a fluke. Your experience, anything like that? Well, they did tell me it was a fluke of nature, but in all honesty, I've never been able to bring myself to believe that for me. Because when I was pregnant with Thomas, I thought I had the flu, and I took medication for it, and I've always thought that might have had something to do with it. And I've been told, no, that's not true, that none of that would have harmed him, but it's just always been in the back of my head because they can't give me an answer as to what did cause it. They can only tell me what's what they think didn't cause it. Um, So until somebody could come forward and give me a definitive answer as to what happened, I'll always have a question in the back of my mind. But with that said, it's not like I planned it. I didn't. Well, no, of course not. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's for sure. Okay, well, let's move to another question, and that is I know that you have certain rituals to remember Thomas every year, and I was part of one of those. (laughs) One year when you flew me in to talk to the people at Congenital Heart Defect Awareness event. But I know that you have some other rituals. Can you tell us what rituals you have that relate to Thomas? Sure. Well, every year on his birthday, we visit his grave and we bring flowers and we do a balloon release just to sort of help the kids be part of remembering him. At Christmas time, we purchase a Christmas ornament for the tree every year in his memory. And... Around February 14th, which, as you know, is CHD Awareness Day, we usually bring things to the pediatric cardiac ICU unit at Boston Children's Hospital. We've had, for the last two or three years, we've had my children's schools have all participated in making Valentine cards for the kids that are in the the ICU units. And we usually try to bring something for the staff. One year we brought muffins and we made lanyards for their badges. We, this past year, purchased um, gift cards to go to Aubon Pan because that's there at the hospital and Subway, just little things to sort of help them hear that their hard work is appreciated because I don't know what anybody else's experience was while they were there, but while we were there, the staff was incredible. They were always Mm -hmm. working, always helping, always compassionate, and I felt like, They not only addressed the medical needs of Thomas, but they remembered that he was a baby and, Mm -hmm. you know, that he needed different attention than an older child or an adult would need. And Mm -hmm. I really thought that spoke a lot to their abilities as compassionate human beings, never mind talented staff and doctors and nurses. Absolutely. Yeah, and when <laughs> when you have a child who gets older and has multiple surgeries and is fortunate enough to go back to the same hospital and have the same staff, those people become part of your family. I mean, it is amazing how close you can get to these nurses and these doctors, but they're following your child and providing life-saving techniques multiple times throughout the child's life, and it really is amazing how close you become to them. I love all these different activities that you do and what I really love is when you post the photos on Facebook (laughs) and I get to see what it is that they do so I knew that you had done multiple things over the years and it's very heartwarming to me that you do so much in Thomas's memory and I'm going to have you talk with Ashley in just a minute when we go into the live portion of our show but one last question for you Sherry and that is what advice would you give to a mother who has lost a child to a congenital heart defect regarding having another baby? Well, I think it's important to take time to grieve before you go to have another child. And only you know how much time you need. Don't let anybody else tell you how much time you need. But whatever amount of time that is, it's important to give yourself permission to grieve even while you're pregnant. 
there are going to be a lot of milestones that you hit through your subsequent pregnancy that are going to remind you of things that you had with your first pregnancy, with your first child, or the child you lost. And it's okay to be upset about those things, and it's okay to fully feel that. But with that said, it's also important to remember the people that are living, too. Um, Mm -hmm. I stepped back from some of my efforts on CHD Awareness Day because I started realizing I wasn't giving the same energy to my children that I had had subsequently. And I think it's just as important that you take time to celebrate those things as well, you know, Mm -hmm. and allow yourself to feel the joy of having a new child, you know, right. um, and not to feel guilty that you are starting to feel joy even though you did have a big loss. Right. So, I mean, it's such a tremendous loss. And I've spoken to so many bereaved friends who told me that they wondered if they'd ever really smile again or really laugh again, and that when they did have their rainbow baby, it brought so much joy into their lives. And sometimes they felt guilty for being happy for having the new baby because they never wanted to forget the baby that they lost. And you can remember your child even through your other child. I don't know if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. But um, no two children are the same, but they are related. They're brother and sister or brother and brother. You know, they are related. And you can you can kind of take joy in the fact that knowing that they do live on in a way through their siblings Mm -hmm. and you don't have to feel guilty about that. You know, they're their own person, of course, but there are going to be elements of them that remind you of your other children. Yeah. I think that's one of the beautiful things about siblings is that nobody is ever closer to another human being than you are to your sibling, and that is because we do share genetic material that's the same you know we have the same mother and father and that just makes us so very close and of course we're going to have qualities you may not think so my sister and I seem to be as different as night and day yet there's no denying the fact that we are sisters (laughs) we definitely look alike and we actually laugh alike my son Alex told me one time after he had spoken to my sister on the telephone he said mommy and Chrissy laughs just like you do (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I had never noticed before, but yeah, we definitely share things that that you don't share with anybody else. So I have so enjoyed talking with you, Sherry, but I'm going to need to take a quick commercial break. And then when I get back, we will talk to Ashley. And we have a couple of people in the chat room. Nobody's asked a question yet, but I know that Ashley has a question for you, Sherry. So we're going to sure. take a, a short break. And okay. then as soon as we come back, then we'll talk all three of us together, which will be a lot of fun. Sounds great. Anna Jaworski has spoken around the world at congenital heart defect events, and she is available as a keynote or guest speaker for your event. Go to hearttoheartwithanna.com to learn more about booking Anna for your event. You can also find out more about the radio program. Keep up to date with CHD resources and information about advocacy groups, as well as read Anna's weekly blog. Anna wants you to stay well-connected and participate in the CHD community. Visit hearttoheartwithanna.com today. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today we are talking with bereaved parents Ashley Halligan and Sherry Turner. We've heard from Ashley about how a parent can lose a baby to a congenital heart defect but still want to have another baby. And we've heard from Sherry Turner about losing a child to hypoplastic left heart syndrome and then going on to have three rainbow babies. So first of all, I'd like to start by thanking Ashley and Sherry for coming on the show today and talking about such an important issue. I know there are so many women that will be able to relate to the stories that you've shared and who will gain strength from what you shared with us today. So thank you, Ashley and Sherry. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, Ashley Halligan asked in the chat room. (laughs) (laughs) This is so cool that I can talk to you on the phone and in the chat room at the same time. (laughs) 
What was the hardest thing for you to do right after you lost Thomas, Sherry? The hardest thing for me to do was right after I lost Thomas, it was probably hardest for me to be around other babies. I felt like they were everywhere, and I just couldn't bear to be around children because I kept thinking, you know, I wanted my baby so much, why wasn't I allowed to have or keep my baby? Um, And there are a lot of children out in the world who are abused and not taken care of, and yet they're allowed to remain in those situations. So it was very, very hard for me to endure that. How long did it take you after you lost Thomas before, gosh, going to Walmart or McDonald's or any place where you tend to see a lot of babies or children, how long did it take you before you could go in those places without wanting to run out of there crying? Probably three months, I'd say. took me a good three months. I mean, I went in those places before then, but I couldn't handle going without crying for probably about three months. Wow. Yeah. The day of my son's burial, a relative brought a baby to the house, and I couldn't bear to be in the same room. Mm. That would be so hard, Sherry. Do you think that having the rainbow babies that you did, did that help you to get over that tremendous feeling of loss where you couldn't even look at another baby without feeling that anguish? It did help me. It did help me in that, for me... I needed children to be in my life. Mm-hmm. And you know, knowing that I actually could have a healthy baby went a long way to sort of helping me cope. It didn't make the loss of Thomas any less, of course. That still hurt tremendously. But being able to have a baby that could survive and could receive the love that we had to give them, that went a long way to sort of opening me up a little bit more and you know, returning me to a sense of more optimism than I had after I lost Thomas. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you one more question, and then we're going to have to end the show. How did you tell your other children about Thomas? Well, I told them slowly, and when birthdays arose and when CHD Awareness Day came around, we would talk about it, and we still do off and on refer to him. I had to take my cues from my children and see what they were ready to hear. Sometimes they were very interested and asked a lot of questions, and other times, if you mentioned them at all, they would change the subject right away. And um, I would take that as a cue that they weren't ready to handle it. So So how old were they when you first let them know that they had a brother? Allison was probably, I don't know, two, maybe a little younger than that, but... I say around two when she actively knew that she had a brother. And it was really more for her about the birthday cake and the release in the balloon was a big deal to her mm-hmm. at his gravesite. And I don't know for sure that she connected that with having a brother, but we had pictures of him. And, you know, I would encourage people not to put away their pictures unless they really feel like they have to because... That's sort of a natural way to talk about it because they're going to ask, mm-hmm. Who's, who is that? We kept our pictures of Thomas up around the house. It just felt like the right thing for us to do. And eventually our daughter started asking us who that was and it kind of gave us a natural diving off point to talk to her about that's your brother and, you know, he had a boo-boo on his heart and the doctors didn't know how to fix it and et cetera, et cetera. But we would keep it very simple and right. sometimes only a sentence or two, depending on mm-hmm. where she was at. But always try to be open and honest about the questions. I didn't shy away from anything. I just tried to keep it, whatever she asked, answer that and not elaborate too much on what she asked. Right. So, Ashley, do you have any other questions you'd like to ask Sherry? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I think you asked the other question that I was wondering is how you tell them and kind of but tell them naturally in a sense where because you don't want your other children to be scared that they're going to have a boo-boo. I know. I mean, right now I think it's just so fresh for me right now. I'm just trying to figure out how to get back well, to, I guess, normal. Your normal <laughs> is going to be new. 
you know, right. it's, gonna, it's <laughs> not going to be the same as it ever was. You know, and as far as your other children being scared that they're going to have a boo-boo, it's really kind of a more straightforward explanation than like some parents have in the past told their children that their brother or sister went to sleep. You don't want to tell them that. Then they get scared of scared (laughs) of going to to sleep. sleep. (laughs) Right. Congenital heart defect is basically an injury. You know, my way of thinking. So it helps them to understand it in basic terms. I mean, if they ask you if they're going to have a boo boo, well, we've had you checked out by a doctor, and the doctor says you don't, so you're okay. Okay. Again, I mean, individual situations are going to vary, but that's the way it went for us. And there's a great book that author named Maria Trozzi put out about talking with kids. The name of the book is Talking with Children About Loss, Words, Strategies, and Wisdoms to Help Children Cope with Death. And we picked that book up and read that and talked with Allison about that a little bit as needed. Mm -hmm. So that might help you. Yeah, and I'll get that information from you, Sherry, and I'll put that on our website so that other people can have access to that as well. So I have one other quick question, even though I said only one more question, and that is do you refer to Thomas as an angel? I don't refer to him that way because I have a very specific belief about what angels are and all of that. I mean, I see him as distinctly separate than what an angel is, but it doesn't offend me or anything if somebody calls him that, but it's just not how I think about him. Well, that answers my question. Thank you, Sherry. (laughs) You're welcome. And I know all moms are different, and Mm -hmm. I see moms who sign a new signature, and they say they're an angel mommy, or they refer to their Mm -hmm. babies who have died as angel babies. And so I was just curious. I know that's something that varies from person to person, but I was just curious, Sherry, if you did or not. It seems like your children have adapted so beautifully, and they don't seem fearful. They seem to just accept that they did have a brother, and none of them got to meet Thomas. So it must seem like such an almost intangible thing to them. In some ways, very much so. And sometimes I think it means a lot more to me that they know about it than it does to them right now. But I'm not in their heads, so I can't really say that definitively. But I think it's an abstract concept for them at this point Mm -hmm. in their life. Yeah. Right. But I think it will mean something to them when they decide to start their own families, that mm-hmm. they know that you had that loss. And like I said, once again, it kind of removes the wool from your eyes that just to know that these kinds of things can happen in families. And it's concerning. Now I have two children who are adults. Alex is 19. He'll be 20 in August. And Joey's 22. He'll be 23 in August. And neither one of them are married. Neither one of them are talking about starting a family yet. But I know that when they do... I hope I won't be a nervous Nelly, but I know I will be nervous. <laughs> I, I think and I know I'll be anxious until. The, well, yeah, but I'm going to be anxious until I know that my daughter-in-law has had an echo and they can see the four chambers of the heart. Because Alex, just like Thomas, had a left-sided heart problem, and we know that there's a higher incidence of recurrence in families that have that left-sided heart defect. So I want to end this on a positive note, and the positive note <laughs> is that. Rainbow babies do exist. We have Allison and Christopher and Daniel to remind us that there can be a rainbow after the storm. I loved the term rainbow babies as soon as I found out about that. And I just found out about that recently. And I thought, wow, that is such a beautiful term for these children who bring such joy into our lives after experiencing such tremendous, devastating loss. I want to thank you, ladies, for talking to me today about rainbow babies. And I hope to do a follow-up show maybe next year with Ashley telling us about her rainbow baby. (laughs) I hope it doesn't take you long to get pregnant and that you have your own rainbow baby to tell us about. We can do a reunion show. That would be so much fun. Thanks again for listening. We know that congenital heart defects touch people all over the globe. But remember, my friends, you are not alone. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you've been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time. We'll talk again next week.